the text. We're going to Psalm 93 this morning. And uh, not probably not going to go through the normal ritual here. I know there's no problem with doing things a certain way, but there's nothing that says we have to stand every time and do things according to the pattern. For myself this morning, I don't know how you're feeling right now, but for myself, um, it just feels already good to have been here. Um, it kind of feels, and I, I mean, probably everybody doesn't feel the same, especially if this isn't your home, but uh, it feels kind of relaxing. Um, you know, you're not blowing the top of the roof off in the songs, but you're not dragging either, so you kind of seem maybe a little tired, but maybe you're just a little relaxed. Just don't fall asleep on me, okay? That's all I ask. But uh, I got something on my heart this morning, and we're in Psalm 93, if you'd look at it with me. I want to try to... I want to try to say all this that I have to say today, and I'm literally, I wrote my message more than once, and I kind of whittled it down because I want to say what needs to be said, and I want to, I want to try to teach here while I preach this morning, so you can grab a hold of the concept that we're looking at. What we're going to be dealing with is uh, really the results of pride in our life, the, 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 the things that pride produces in us. And I want you to try to relax this morning, breathe real deep, and and don't feel like I'm going to attack you. Uh, I want you to understand that there is not an individual in this room that does not naturally struggle with this problem, Uh, the sin of pride. It's a terrible sin. It's a subtle sin. It's so subtle that sometimes it represents itself in humility. The Bible talks about a show of humility, and it's not actual humility, it's pride on steroids. So it's a very dangerous thing, and it's something that will ruin your life. And it'll get in the way of your walk with Jesus Christ, it'll, it'll cut off your ears, and it'll harden your heart, and it'll mess you up. Look at Psalm 93, verse 1, the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established, that it cannot be moved. Now hang on a minute. The world that you're in, you're going to tell me the world you're in right now is established, that it cannot be moved? You know the day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign, and when He does, it'll be established that it cannot be moved. Right now, of course, He's reigning. He's sitting on His throne in the third heaven, but this is applying to the earth you're on. You've got to recognize, first of all, that Psalm 93 is talking about, it's a prophesying of a time in the future when the Lord sits and rules and reigns on this earth. Look at verse 2. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Folks, that's not talking about the Pacific or the Atlantic. It's not talking about the Bering Strait. These floods that this thing is talking about is something that has lifted up itself against the Lord. 
Now, we'll look at some of it tonight, but I'm not going to run the references, these particular references with you right now. So suffice it to say, I've taught you before, and you know what 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, right? Who's the God of this world right now, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4? 4? It's Satan is the God of this world. That's a wild thought. According to the book of Ephesians, he's got principalities and powers. They're called what of the darkness of this world? Rulers. Well, according to Jude 11, 12, 13, somewhere right in there, it says that there's raging waves foaming out their shame. Stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. When the Bible talks about Lucifer, it connects him to the sea, which we'll see tonight, to waves. It talks about him moving through the deep. I've taught you before, that's the, that's the frozen waters at the top of outer space. At the top of the waters that are there, it's frozen. It's a sea of glass. It's absolute zero up there. And God destroyed this thing, and then he divided the waters from the waters, so you're sitting inside, you're suspended out here in space, but above you here is waters. God sits on those waves. Satan's foaming out his shame. Something here has rebelled against God, and God is high and is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the, no- the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. So what you're looking at when you look at Psalm 93 is you're looking at something very proud, very arrogant, that lifted up its voice against God. Now, what have we seen as we're going through Revelation? What happens when the Antichrist comes and sits down in that seat in the temple and declares that he is God? The Bible tells us that he lifts up his voice and blasphemies against God. He's not afraid to speak proud and lofty things. He's, he's arrogant against the Lord. He claims that he is God. He lifts up his voice against the Lord. So what you're dealing with in Psalm 93 is a prophecy of what God's going to do when he puts down the proud. When he actually rules and reigns and stills those waves. Listen, when Jesus Christ spoke to the actual waves, the physical waves that were on this earth, he claimed that he, he commanded them to be still and they just laid down like nothing. This thing is prophesying of something way worse. It is something that's powerful. It is something that is, 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 is supernatural he's dealing with in Psalm 93. Now, here's what the Bible tells you. Your enemies are threefold. You have the world. That's 1 John 2, 16. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the what? Pride of life. Your enemy is the world. Your enemy is the devil. Job chapter 41, what does it tell you about the devil? It says he's the king over all the children of what? Pride. And you have the flesh. So what happened is when we fell to sin, when, when, when Lucifer tempted Eve in the garden and she obeyed that temptation and she went with that thing, she got that sin nature. And then Adam saw what happened to his wife and the Bible says Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Adam knew what he was doing. He looked at his wife and he knew immediately when he saw her, more than likely her complexion had changed. More than likely in her circulatory system, she had water, living water, which when that thing became dirty and became like blood, her complexion probably changed. He probably looked at her and knew immediately that something had happened and he chose to die with her. He knew what he was doing, the first type of Jesus Christ, being willing to die for his bride to be with her. He knew what he was doing and he sinned. And everybody ever since then is born with a sin nature. 
And in your sin nature, you know what the number one thing, the number one sin was? It's pride. You know what pride is defined as? It's inordinate self-esteem. When you think too much of yourself. Now, I told you, not a person in this room is going to escape this message. You can claim, I'm always thinking about others and all that stuff. Yeah, well, that's why when you're hungry, you run right to the fridge and find out what you want to eat. Every one of us has a lot of self-esteem. Every one of us puts ourselves first. You know what that whole thing about, I'm ugly and I'm not attractive and I'm not as good as them and I'm not as talented. And you know what that is? That's inordinate self-esteem. What in the world ever made you think that you should be better than everybody else? You wouldn't have that feeling. It wouldn't bother you that somebody's more attractive than you. It wouldn't bother you that somebody's richer than you. It wouldn't bother you that somebody's smarter than you. It wouldn't bother you that somebody's more more social and more popular than you are if you didn't think you deserved to be number one. Instinctively in our nature. Do you understand? I'm not beating up on you. Do you understand what I'm saying? We got to get the perspective on this thing. In us naturally runs a streak of pride. You know what else it is? It's lofty airs. You ever see people that walk around with their nose so high in the air they drown if it rained? And you're praying for rain. You know what I'm saying? You're like, it expresses itself in lofty airs. Like, you're not the cool kids, but I am. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny, Luke. Good one. (laughs) Keep trying. You'll get there someday. (laughs) Arrogant little cuss. Right? It's thinking that what you do is better than everybody else. Do you know how it'll express itself? If you're sitting there listening, let's just say, for illustration's sake, somebody sing. And what you're thinking is you're feeling a sense of like, like, oh, they're doing such a bad job. Oh, I feel so sorry for them. You never identify that as pride, do you? But you're sitting there thinking, I could do so much better, and they're making themselves look stupid, and I feel sorry for them. Or somebody gets up there, and they're better than you are. And so since they're up there outperforming you, you sit there, and you're feeling uncomfortable and uneasy because they're doing such a good job. It's pride. It's destructive. Did you know pride is connected to two things? Pride is connected to rebellion. Lucifer started out with pride. He said, I'll exalt myself. I'll be like the Most High. Equality. We all should be equal. Guess what? Let me just say something terrible. I mean, this is going to be horrible if your mindset, your morality, your worldview, your social compass is based on what you get on the media. It's based on what you're getting in schools and colleges and everything else nowadays. What I'm about to say is horrible. How could he? We're not all equals. Now, if you, have a, if you have a pride problem, what you just heard is me say I'm better than you. I didn't say that. I said we're not all equals. You've got a society that, where parents actually think kids are equal to them. And kids actually think they're equal to parents. You lost your cotton-picking mind, man. You see the result of it. God sets up authority. I said, God sets up authority. I believe in authority. 
I believe that you're told in the Bible not to speak evil of the ruler of your people, but to pray for them, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That means God expects you to pray for Joe Biden. Yeah, Joe Biden. Even if he is an old man, and even if he is have dementia, and even if he doesn't know where he is, does things the wrong way, if we prayed as much as we criticized, God might do something for us. I believe in authority. I believe in the ultimate authority being Almighty God. But at, from there, God sets up governments, and we're commanded throughout the Bible to be in obedience to government. This Michigan militia nuts. You guys need to be careful, okay? I'm, I'm all for you, whatever, your CPL, go to the range, think you're Rambo, whatever you want to do, it's fine by me, I don't care. It's a manly hobby, it's a manly sport, I I'm, I'm, support you. Praise the Lord, God bless you, right? This Michigan militia stuff, you better stay away from guys that are wired that way. What are you going to do? What are you, you going to do when the police show up at you? You're going to have a shootout with the police. You're going to have a shootout with the American military. You lost your mind. Keep that garbage out of this church. You're going to die and so is your family. Those guys are trained beyond anything you can do at a range or anybody you can hire to train you or a little shooting thing you got in your backyard. And then they've been in it before. They've done it. If They know the, the hormones. They know what happens in their body. They know how to control their mind. They know the confusion. You're just gambling against something. You can't win. I've seen a guy. I knew he was a Christian when I saw his car. He had, the, he had the gun up there, and he had all the little guns, and he had some kind of statement, of anti-government thing, and then they all come out acting all Christian. You know, I could see. I could tell they're a Christian. I said, that guy, I don't want that guy in my church. Anti-government stuff on the back, and guns everywhere. I thought, you're an idiot. If you care about those kids, those boys you're training, and the little girls you obviously have, you could tell by their wardrobe. You know what I'm saying? They're like the godliest of the godly, the most separated there ever was. I just kind of walked away from them. I don't want them around. You can get your family killed like that. You're breeding rebellion into your children. You don't understand what God has to say about authority. I know this isn't popular preaching, is it? I believe in authority. And the pride in us just resents authority. There's a new one out there right now. You guys know the new law? Relates to your driving? Anybody know it? Cell phones. Do you see the way they wrote that law? Man, you read the de- we read the details of that law. You cannot escape that thing. It's like, literally like, don't touch your phone. Don't touch it. Don't touch your phone. If you're driving... You, I'm sitting at the light idling. If your car's on, don't touch your phone. Period. There's no loopholes. I love the way they wrote that thing. Do you know why? I got four teenage daughters. Two of them have a license. One's about to get hers, and another one's coming. I want them not touching that phone while they're driving their car because I don't want them to die. That's not the government coming in and trying to take away our liberties and they're blowing the frog. That's, you know, they've been to too many uh, calls and panic situations. They've had to cut people out of vehicles. It's worse now than drunk driving because you're addicted to that device. Amen. It's not worth it over a text message. My boyfriend texted me. So what? He'll get over it a lot faster than your daddy will. You got a problem with that law? Maybe there's a problem in your heart. I had, to, I had to wrestle with this myself. I told you I'm not talking down to you. I had to wrestle with it myself. Because they came in and said we can fit 340 people in here. Man, we, we were a little bit down last week and we had I think 130 or something like that, 123 or something. And we were like, man, 
uh, two weeks ago, we had 149. 149. That's when I said, good news, guys, we can get another 200 people in here. And everybody laughed. <laughs> you know what I had to realize? The fire marshal doesn't hate us. He's not getting a commission for making us install a fire suppression system. That's a very shallow, childish response on my part, and I apologize for that. I should not have responded that way. I shouldn't have felt that way. As a pastor, I shouldn't be like, oh, 140, $160,000. I should have thought, how much would I pay to keep your kids from burning up in a fire in the basement? That's how I should have thought. So for me to fight them on it, I'm telling the guy that runs those calls and has done it his whole life. See, I'm telling him, well, it's not going to happen to me. Well, everybody else thought that too when I ran on that call and I've seen bodies burned alive. I've been there with families weeping. I've had to break the news to mom. I've had to break the news to dad. I've had to tell the kids their parents died. It's a tragic thing if your house burns down, period. If your dogs are there, do you realize what that would do to you if your house burned down and your animal died in the fire? Now add to that a human being. I'm trying to say that the government and the authorities and all the things, they're not there just to try to torture us and get our money and like he's getting some kind of a commission check. He looked at the actual numbers. He said, I know normally this is how churches do it, but by the letter of the law, this is it. So maybe for all I know, God meant let him to do that just to keep us safe. It's just going to be a nice feeling to know that there's some water coming down on us in case it happens. What I'm talking about is pride that kicks back against all rules and authority. And as Americans, it's bred into us even more. Because, I, listen, I'm not against my country, okay? Not against the Constitution. I'm as conservative or more than anybody in the room. But we were based from the beginning on our rights. On taxation without representation. If you're going to take my money, listen to what I say to do with it. So you've got to think about that and you've got to understand the concept. Rebellion is connected with pride. And rebellion is to say to all authority, get off me. Moms and dads, I'm helping you here. Tell your kids what to do. And expect them to do it, hear me, the first time. One, two, three. (laughs) What you're saying is I have no authority. What did I tell you to do? You do it. If I scream, get out! I want my kids to get out. You live in a crazy world, don't you? Somebody goes walking through the parking lot. If I say, get out, girls, I don't want them to say, why? Well, I don't feel like it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess up my dress. I, these are my favorite jeans. Get out. Why? Because I, I want you to learn that you've got to do what you're told. That's life, folks. We ought to be instilling that in our children and understand that in them there's a sense of pride. In them, naturally, there's a sense of this isn't fair to me. In them, there's naturally a sense of like, I know what I'm doing and you shouldn't tell me what to do. And when that pride continues to grow and continues to fester, it becomes rebellion against authority. And you know what that leads to? It's the third thing. It's connected with pride. The three things are are Siamese twins. It's connected to stubbornness. So what will happen when your pride gets going is it will breed rebellion in you. And when you, uh, when you feed the rebellion, what happens with the rebellion is you become stubborn in where you're at. A stubbornness is an unwillingness to bend. It's inflexible. It's I'm going to dig down and I'm going to stay here and I'm not going to change no matter what. 
And you know what I just described to you? I described to you the character of Lucifer. He's proud, he's rebellious, and he's sticking with it. Even if he self-destructs. Mom and dad with those little ones, it can't be more important when they're little for you to break their will without breaking their spirit. An abused child has a broken spirit. And don't, don't mess with me. I know the difference. I've had to, I'm a pastor. I know what abuse does to people. We ain't talking about abuse. You're abusing them when you don't teach them these things because they can't build a solid life unless you do. When you see them get stubborn with you, you say, sit down. You shouldn't have to say, honey, would you please sit down? Honestly, what garbage is that? I'm the dad. I said, sit down. Well, I don't like the way you said it. That's pride in your heart. I'll answer to God for how I said it. Did the authority tell you to sit down? Yes or no? Okay, so what part of you always goes, don't tell me what to do. You tell them, you tell them when they're little, well, trust me, we know. We had four. You tell them what to do and they just... Depending on the personality, we had a couple of them that are worse, worse than others. We had one boy, I'm telling you, it would go literally, it would go till two in the morning sometimes. No joke. Give me the sippy cup. Swat, swat, stand her back up. Give me the sippy cup. Swat, swat, stand her back up. Give me the sippy cup. She's my witness. We had standoffs with that girl that went halfway through the night. Now, you tell me about, oh, they're just wearing me out and I just can't do it. Boy, I sure am glad I had somebody helping me and instructing me and telling me what to do. And tell, we'd call them crying. Crying! Don't know what to do with this kid. She's nuts. <laughs> Depends on who was telling them. She's got all her mom in her or she's got all of her dad in her. Depends on who called. You know what I mean? That stubbornness has got to be yielded. You have to win those standoffs, mom and dad. You have to win at all costs. Because that's a little soul. That's an entire life that you got in your hands and God's expecting you to mold it according to that book. And you need to understand that nature in them. And you need to understand the root of the problem. And you need to fix it. And it's on you to do it. We get so frustrated sometimes we'd have to tag team. Okay, you're, you're done. Go sit down and cool off. I'll take over from now. And we can outlast them. We take breaks. She don't get a break. She'd take that thing. Oh, no, 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 no. You're taking that back and we're doing this again. Another spanking. Let's go again. I'm not talking about abuse. If you think that's abusive, you lost your mind. There's a particular part of the human anatomy that has no vital organs near it and it's plenty well padded. It stings a little bit and they'll live. But I'm telling you, you've got to understand the source of these problems because if we don't get our pride under control, our pride will blind us to the judgment of God. Look at it in the next chapter, verses 1 through 7. O Lord, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. 
Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? See how I said it's connected to speech? See how I said it's connected to pride? How long shall they speak hard things and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Somebody that's given to their pride, somebody that's resisting to God, they they get to where they feel like there's no repercussions for their actions. They feel like God doesn't see and nothing's going to come of it. That's what happens too, by the way, since I'm on the subject, to kids whose parents are too passive. When you're too passive and you're too, oh, just love them, just love them, just love them. It's just love. It's just love conquers all. Where'd you get that from a King James Bible? You didn't. You got that from a perversion. Listen to me. You just love them, love them, love them. That's that's great. But they get to thinking that there's no repercussions for actions. You got to understand that God is a God of judgment. And your pride will blind you to the fact that your sin will find you out. It is coming. We do wrong and get away with it. And we feel like, well, we do it again and get away with it. Not realizing that it's the long suffering of God that's good to us. It's that God's waiting to judge because he's hoping we get right before he has to bring the boom. God is not this angry God in heaven waiting to just beat every kid that steps out of line every time they move. Which one of us would be alive if God was like that? Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he's kind. Yes, he's long-suffering. Yes, the proud speak blasphemous and arrogant things against him. Yes, they rub his word and his promises in his face. Yes, they claim he's not there. They claim he's weak and won't follow up. But listen to me. God's good to them anyways. Because he wants to reach them. And as that pride builds up and that rebellion continues and that stubbornness roots deep in us, we begin to think God ain't going to do nothing about it. Notice, there's a reward to the proud in verse 2. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. You know what God's going to do? God's going to deal with the proud. Didn't he say in Job, I think it's 41, when he's challenging Job, he says, look thou on everyone that's proud and abase them. You think you're God? Look on everybody that's proud and bring them down. Because that's what I'm going to do. God will bring every single proud person, every single proud being to its knees, and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But here's the thing about God. He doesn't do it now. He doesn't do it tomorrow. You and I got to understand in humility that God's promises are true. And when God said it, God's going to do it. So if God said he's going to bring them down, he's going to bring them down. So man, I want to make sure I'm not a proud man, don't you? Because it's in me, folks. Trust me, it's in me. I've got such a competitive nature, it's horrible. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's on steroids, it's bad. I've been competitive from the day I was born doctor slapped me to make me cry and I wanted to slap him back. Amen. (laughs) Competitive from the day I was born. So I'm not talking down to you. You know what the root of that competitiveness is? It's pride. It's let's see who better, who's better. Now, let me say something. You got to understand this. 
Pride that's naturally in you, that's controlled and submitted to God, is not necessarily bad. Here's the sense that I mean that in. Don't you take some kind of pride in your work? Isn't it the sense of I'm good at this and I want to be better at this and I want to get the promotion and I want to be qualified to get the raise and I want to do my best, I want to show my boss that I'm the best employee he's got. Doesn't that motivate you to get better? It is kind of good for your kids to be in competitive sports. It's good for them to win, learn to win and it's good for them to learn to lose. I'm not saying all that stuff is bad and that we've got to become these weird old pacifists. I'm saying we've got to recognize and understand what pride is, the root of it and the source of it, and we've got to do this check on ourselves to see if I'm a proud man that God's eventually going to judge. And one of the ways you know you're a proud man is you're blind to the judgment of God. You don't step back and sit back and think about the fact that God's going to bring everything I say into judgment. That God's either going to reward me or he's going to not reward me based on what I'm doing, based on how I'm living. God sees everything I'm looking at. God knows everything I'm thinking. God knows everywhere I go. God knows my motive. He knows my heart. He knows whether or not I get in the car criticizing you or I get in the car praying for you. God knows everything about me and God will hash it all out at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and that will humble me before God to recognize, man, I'm not all I thought I was. A holy God is looking at me honestly. And I'm going to be brought into judgment for what I say. Man, that scares me. The things I say to my wife and the things I say to my kids, I'm going to be judged for. Now, that's true of every one of you. The things you say to your co-workers. That's true of every one of you. Now, can you imagine also being called to God to do what I do three times a week and get in a pulpit? I am supposed to be up here representing God. Saying, open up the Bible and let's look at what the Bible says about these subjects. And he says, every idle word... And every motive of the heart, God's going to judge. If I get to where I'm preaching without even thinking about him and your judgment of him, if I get to where I'm going through my life and I got these sins in my life, right? I got these things back there that I'm not dealing with and I'm thinking, well, I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. It's all right. It's all right. God ain't done nothing about it yet. God's not going to do nothing. Nothing's going to come of it. They're making a bigger deal out of that than what it really is. I know they warn us about all that, but I mean, that's just not that big of a deal. And I'm burying that stuff. You know what that shows? That shows pride in my heart and rebellion in my spirit. And I'm getting stubborn about my sin. See, what we're doing this morning is we're trying to get to the root of the problem. I'm not picking on you about your sin. Y'all got sins. You live in a day and age where people have more addictions than they even realize they have. When you got 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old kids already seeing things on the internet that they should never see in their entire lifetime. And the physiological response that literally takes place in your body when you see some of those images, there's a literal physiological response. It's not just psychological. It becomes addictive. That's why they'll be driving down the road doing 50 miles an hour and they got to check their social media and they got to check their text message and without realizing it, they're veering, bam, head on just like that, dead. Because their brain's wired to be addicted to something. It's literally like a drug. Pick up that phone. You just can't help it. Be talking right to them. Hey, honey. Uh-huh. Swipe the thing out of your hand. Wouldn't do that. You guys realize you got people that are so messed up right now 
and they sit in church and look like they got it together. And there's so much sin going on, God can't get through to us with a jackhammer. The judgment of God is coming on this stuff. I'm not trying to pick on you about your individual secret little sins. What I want to do is get to the root of the problem and get you to understand that it is pride in your heart that thinks you're getting away with it. It is pride in your heart that thinks you're never going to get caught. It is pride in your heart that thinks nobody can see and God don't know and nothing's going to come of it. It's pride in the heart. Keep your finger here in Psalms. Go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 9, please. And keep a mark in Isaiah because we're going to go back and forth here for a minute. And I want to show you some things. Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 8. Isaiah 9, 8. The Lord sent a word unto Jacob. Ain't it good that God's given us His word? I believe this morning God's trying to give some of you something from the word of God to help you in your life. I'm talking about a root of a problem that's going to help you with some of your marriage troubles and some of your work troubles and some of your financial troubles and some of your sin problems. I'm talking about getting down to something that's going to help you out. I'm talking about getting to the root of something that will help you with your depression and your discouragement. I'm talking about helping you on so many levels. Only God can do it. It's a miraculous thing, and He's going to do it through His Word, and He wants to give you the Word of God this morning to help you out of your problems. That's what God wants to do for you. That's what you're supposed to be here for. Why don't people understand that? I don't understand why people, I don't know how to get it through their heads. You've been so brainwashed to what church is. It's just like, not you, I'm not harping on you. You know what I'm saying. This world's been so brainwashed as to what church is. They think it's all about stuff it's not about. Listen, God help me. I don't care if we stay around 100 people or whatever, 100 and a half. I don't care if we never grow again. I would rather this be a place that helps the people that come than to be some kind of growing church trying to pacify people and let them leave like they came. No help from God! A fate worse than death. I'll go get a real job. If that's what I'm going to do, I'll go get a real I know how to play the stupid games. Trust me, I know how to give all the little psychological things and all the little connect stuff and all the other stuff. We're, not, we're trying to connect to the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God to give you some light in your life to help you. Not trying to grow a corporation here. It's not my job. Could oh, Never mind. Let's get in the text. Verse 9. Lord sent, verse 8. The Lord sent a word unto Jacob and it had lightened upon Israel. Boy, we need the light, don't we? And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria that say in the pride and stoutness of heart. You see it? You see that? They're, they're proud, and what does that lead to? Stubbornness. Stoutness of heart. What did I tell you? I define stubbornness for you, right? It's, 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 it's resistance. It's, it's stiffness. It's an unwillingness to bend or bow or change. The bricks are falling down in verse 10, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and join his enemies together. The Syrians before, the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Why is God mad? Because he's judging them for their pride and their stiffness of heart, their resistance to the word of God, their resistance to the truth. And whenever God judges them, they think God's not judging me. That, we went to the next level of pride. We went to the next level of stubbornness. We went to the next level of rebellion. See, on an on a early level, it's God's not going to judge me. Once you get stuck in that mindset and that, that firmness of your spirit digs in and you just resist and push back against it, and just, I just don't agree. 
Did something fall again? I think we're good. I heard something. I don't know what I heard. Maybe it's something falling downstairs. When you get there and you push back against the judgment, God's not going to judge, right? Then he judges. Since you're already firm and set and pushing back, you're like Pharaoh. And God ain't doing it. Hey, can you sorcerers do the same thing? Oh, you can? Ha! Must not have been God then. Stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is what? Iniquity and idolatry. Well, Pharaoh got his heart hardened against God. And when God was bringing the judgment, he turned to witchcraft to say, can you guys do it? And I'll show you eventually in, in the Revelation series, the devil can imitate a lot of what God does. So they were, he was able to copycat a lot of this stuff, but not everything. Watch it. Verse 13, Isaiah 9, For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient and the honorable, he is the head. The prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. You see that? The leaders aren't giving you Bible anymore. Ain't that the country you're in? Ain't that the state of the church nowadays? The guys are getting in the pulpit claiming to be the men of God, but they won't preach like this. You clean a church out like this, man. People will be like, oh, I'm not going back there. How dare him? It's none of his business to tell us what to do with our kids, you rebellious little thing. I didn't. I didn't. I'm giving you Bible to try to help you. Try to give you the tools you need to go, oh, I had never thought of that. I didn't realize that was there. Yeah, I do need to be a little bit better about that so I can help my kids. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men. Neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For every one is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. See the mouth connected with it again? For all, that his, it, that for all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Back to Psalm 94. So when we resist the judgment of God, when we get pride and stubbornness and, 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 and all that stuff built up in our heart, we push back against the judgment of God, and guess what that does? It doesn't do away with the righteous judgment of God. It makes the problems worse. Notice the second thing. Pride in our hearts will cause us to become brutish toward the truth. Look at verse 8. Understand ye brutish among the people. And ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chasteneth the heathen, shall he not correct? Shall not he correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the faults of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. You know what happens when we get proud? We get brutish. You live in a brutish culture. It's a brute. It's a bully. It's somebody that's ignorant, that thinks they know it all and does not have a teachable spirit. Can't say, they already know, they already got all the answers. They already know it all. I know the Bible. How many times people said that to me? I've read the Bible. Okay. So turn to the book of Zaphnaphpaneah. liar. You know the Bible, huh? You're a brute. 
You already know it all. God ain't looking for somebody like that to teach. God's looking for somebody that says, God, please, I need more. Please give me more. I've said this so often, many of you could probably finish it, and if not, I hope you can eventually. The best black belts in the world keep a white belt mentality. I'm talking about the best of the best. I'm talking about some of the most dangerous guys that walk around the planet that have proven it in competition against the other guys that are the best in the world. They keep a white belt mentality. What that means is they're always learning and they never think they've arrived. They're always looking at what they do wrong and they're always watching what other people do to figure out how to do it better. And they're studious and they're intelligent. That's what most people don't understand. To be a really, really high-level fighter, those guys are strategic and intelligent. A brute, a brute eventually gets knocked out. A brute eventually gets tore down. And what pride does in us is it makes us brutish. It gives us that stubbornness and that hardness of heart to where we get to where we have a hearing problem in verse number 9. I mean, that's what, that's what the Bible tells us in the book of Amos, that God's going to send a famine. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, he says, not of bread nor of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Everybody thinks that thing says, but of preaching the words of the Lord. It doesn't say that. The problem's not that there's no good preachers out there. The problem is that people can't hear the Bible anymore. When preachers preach, they don't hear it. That's a famine in the land. God said they're starving spiritually. They need somebody to preach to them. Hey, I read this week in my devotions, as I read through the book of Isaiah, cry aloud, spare not, lift up my, thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their sin, and the house of Jacob their transgression. But people say, I just couldn't hear because of the way he said it. So we get up and we prophesy smoothly and people don't hear. We get up and we preach and your kids are like, and you don't have to have a rock band to do it for them. And you don't have to have graphics and design and and loud music and the lights off to do it for them. When the men of God will do what God said, the way God said it, then God can use it. God can use it to change your life. God can use it to help you. God can use it to bless you. God can use it to take you off into eternity in a great way to reward you with eternal rewards. If you can hear. And so Satan wants to provoke that pride and that stubbornness and that rebellion to keep you from hearing. Did you keep your finger in Isaiah like I asked you to? Look at Isaiah 44. Isaiah chapter 44. I asked you to, but I didn't. I can get there quick. Look at verse 9. They that have made a graven image, Isaiah 44, 9, are all of them vanity. And their delectable things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. They're their own witnesses. They're making some idols and they're making some graven images and they're worshiping those things. Hey, Americans, you worship your job, okay? Some of you parents, you push your kids more to to get through school and to get a good education and to get a good job than you do to read their Bible, pray, and walk with Jesus Christ. If my daughters wind up poor, but they love God, they love their husband, and they raise my grandchildren for Jesus Christ, then I'm proud of them. 
I don't care what they're living in. If they're honestly working and loving Jesus Christ and loving their spouse and enjoying their life and got the joy of the Lord in their soul, hey, I'm proud of them. They pull in in a broke down vehicle blowing white smoke out the back and you make fun of them. I pray to God to help me to keep my testimony and let it go and be gracious. Amen. Look at verse 10. Who hath formed a God or molten the graven image that is profitable for nothing. Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yea, they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals, and fashion it with hammers, and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry, and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water, and is faint. You ever go without water? You know how wink you get? How many of you guys go a little bit too long without eating and you start getting, uh, getting a little weak, a little shaky, a little hangry? You're not dying, by the way. I've tried it out. I've tried fasting and going into jujitsu, and when I get my head in the right place, it has no effect whatsoever on, on how, I, how I can handle it. Just so you know. But if you go long enough without eating, you know what does happen to you? You start with muscle wasting. Gluconeogenesis and breaking down muscle in your body and you start getting weak. Can't go very long without drinking. But you're going to worship something your hands can do? Hey, I hope you're all successful. I hope all my kids live in nicer houses than me, drive better cars and have all kinds of money. And all of you too. I'm not saying it's wrong to have money. You apply biblical principles to your life and work hard and you, you can work your way up in this country. But are you guaranteed that's going to be there next year? You know what's going to happen to the economy? Do you know whether or not it's going to turn around? Do you know whether or not the person that you're hoping is going to get in office? You don't. So why would you worship anything you can produce? You shouldn't. Verse 13, the carpenter stretcheth out his rule. He marketh it out with a line. He fitteth it with planes. He marketh it with the compass and maketh it after the figure of a man according to the beauty of a man that it may remain in the house. He heweth him down cedars and taketh the cypress and the oak which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn. For he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth. He maketh a graven image and falleth down unto it. He burneth part thereof in the fire. With part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself and saith, Ah, I am warm. I've seen the fire. And the residue, the left thereof, maketh he a god. Even a graven, falleth down unto it and worshipeth it and prayeth unto it and saith, Deliver me for thou art my god. They have not known nor understood. They're brutes. For he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts have they that they cannot understand. For none considereth in his heart, neither is their knowledge nor understanding to say, I've burned part of it in the fire. Yea, also I've baked bread upon the coals thereof. I've roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to a stalk of a tree? That's a brute. That came from pride and stubbornness of heart. That's a skilled individual that can do amazing things with his hands and can perform all kinds of stuff that has lost his cotton picking mind because he got pride and rebellion and stubbornness in his heart and now he is clueless. He's ruining his own life and can't even see it. 
because he doesn't have a teachable spirit and humility before God. That's the only problem. He's got the IQ. He's got the ability. Look at Isaiah chapter 50. He doesn't want to hear what God has to say. Here's your Lord, your Savior. Look at verse 5. The Lord hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. You know what the Lord did? He said, God opened my ear and I will not be rebellious to what you tell me. You know what he was? He was humble. Isaiah chapter 30. And we'll go back to Psalm and we'll wrap it up. Isaiah chapter 30. Verse 9. He tells them to note in a book forever and ever in verse 8 that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. See what rebellion's connected to? I won't listen to what God's saying. Which say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets... Prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. That's a rebellious people. You know what they want from their preachers? Smoothness. Be smooth. Now listen, listen to me. I know how I preach. And I know, especially if you don't know me well, if you look around and watch the people that know me well, they understand. But if you don't know me well, especially in this culture, the way I come across sometimes is like, wow, he's rough. And if you've been around people that that are abusive, it's like he's stomping and he's pounding and he's... I get it. I get that nowadays I'm a freak when I actually believe in being a preacher, like an old school preacher. But that book hasn't changed. And when I get in this pulpit, I'm going to do it the way God has taught me to do it. I'm not here to be smooth. I'm not here to be a professional in anything other than studying that book and having God Almighty teach me that Bible in such a way that I can lay it out to you that it'll make sense and apply to your life. That's what we're about. And I'm telling you right now, that smooth speech is meant to not rub you the wrong way. It's meant to not cut you. It's meant to not get you to think. It's meant to not provoke you. It's not meant to expose the sin in our hearts. And that's why they sit there and say, prophesy smooth things. Since so many of you have been picking on me since I did that a couple services ago, you know. (laughs) But that's what they want out of their preachers. And then we wonder why young men don't get in church anymore. And women got to drag their husbands to church with them and he sits there falling asleep. It's an effeminization. It's, a, it's an out of order. It's things aren't being done God's way anymore and the authority structure's not in place anymore. The men aren't the head of their homes. They're not leading the thing spiritually because the guy in the pulpit ain't leading the church. He's led by the almighty dollar, by numbers, by popularity, by the pulpit committee or whoever else is running the show. But it ain't the book. It ain't God. 
We're not here to prophesy unto you smooth things. If you have not looked around lately, nothing's very smooth in the culture you're living in. Go back to Psalm 94 if you would please and we'll be done for the morning. I do have to take you to one final passage in the conclusion. Look at the last thing. Here's what happens when pride sets in. It blinds us to the judgment of God. It makes us brutish toward the truth where we don't learn our Bibles anymore. And then it causes us to bear our own burdens. Verse 14. For the Lord will not cast off His people, neither will He forsake His inheritance. God ain't going to cast you off. But judgment shall return into righteousness. He will judge you, but He doesn't judge you to destroy you. He judges you to draw you to Himself. And all the upright in heart, see it? See the heart? It's not a rebellious heart, it's upright in heart. Shall follow Him. Shall follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers, or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity. Unless the Lord had been my help, see it? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dealt, dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, help me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. You know what happens when you get stubborn against God and proud and you dig in and you get rebellious toward God? You bear your own burdens. I've told you before, life in a sinful world is tough, whether you're saved and following God or not. Bad things, very bad things happen to very good people. And I've seen very bad things happen to good people, and I've seen it ruin them. Because it's this sense of, I didn't deserve this. Why would you do this to me? And God tries to say, hey, I'm going to get you through it and I'm going to make you better off. This could never work out to make me better. This just doesn't make any sense. I didn't expect this to happen this way. I didn't expect my life to turn out this way. It's not right. And that anger and that bitterness and that frustration, that stubbornness, that rebellion, how dare you let this happen? And God's like, listen, man, you're doing the wrong thing. Come here. I will take care of you. Come here. Come here. Come here. Stop. Stop. Would you stop? Come here. We're going to get through this. I'm going to help you. I'm going to heal you up. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. It's going to be okay. But that pride and that stubbornness and that rebellion just, no, no, just don't, no, 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 no. Okay, you're still going to have the problem. And since you're being proud, you're going to bear that problem on your own. And that problem will destroy you. Or, we can do what God wants us to do and we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And when we're struggling, we can draw close to Him and then we can see God give us joy in the middle of our burden. Power in the middle of our struggle. Comfort in the middle of our pain. Let's conclude the message in the book of 1 Peter, if you would. Go back there with me to the book of 1 Peter. I want you to see something here. 1 Peter chapter 5 and look at verse 5. Watch the authority structure. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves... That's, submission is different than surrender. Surrender means I got beat into surrendering. It's a war. And I have to to survive. 
Submission is a voluntary act. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourself. It's a state of heart. It's a state of mind. Unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Look what God's going to do if you humble yourself. Whenever He's ready, it wins due time. Whenever He sees fit, doesn't matter. Now watch, look at verse 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a warring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to get you more stubborn in your pride. He wants to get you to stick with your guns. He wants to focus on however you don't deserve this and God's wrong and everybody else is wrong and I've been mistreated and I know, I know, I know, I know some people have been grossly mistreated. Honestly, if I was the president, I'd have capital punishment for some certain types of abuses. Because I've been told by men that know and I'm not talking low level, I'm talking high level men that know that certain people are un... They just don't get, what's the word? Rehabable. When somebody goes certain places into certain kinds of abuse, they are so messed up, he said, they've never one time seen anybody ever come out of that. And I know, I know it's terrible. There are things that can happen to you that... It ain't right. But you only got one place to go because the devil wants to take that thing and drive it deeper and deeper and deeper and get that pride even more and more. I just don't, just not for the rebellion and the stubbornness. And God says, he's going to devour you, but if you cast your care upon me, I'll care for you. Verse 9, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Ain't that funny? It's like that song we sang, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Knowing that the same affections are accomplished, afflictions, excuse me, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You know where all that came from? Somebody saying, God, if there's any pride in me at all, if there's any stubbornness in me at all, if there's any rebellion in me at all, I'm really sorry. You're God and I'm not. And I am yours and I'm putting myself under your hand and I'm asking you to help me. I need your help, God. Would you help me? If you'll humble yourself to God, he'll exalt you in due time. He'll take care of you. He'll establish you. He'll strengthen you. And he'll settle you. And whatever that roaring lion was trying to do to wreck your life, to ruin you, to get you away from God, to drive pride, you'll be safe from His power and His wiles and His trickery. And the only way for you to be safe is under the hand of Almighty God. And it's your choice and my choice. Your life is a series of decisions that you make, and those decisions determine how you turn out. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.